So as we get started, I kind of just want to recap a little bit of where we've been, and I'm not talking about recapping the, the, se- the series that we've been in, but literally recap kind of the last two years, and it's going to be hard to do, I'll do it very quickly, but so, you know, two years ago, uh, as a church, we jumped into this study on the Holy Spirit. And we started asking, we kind of scoured the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, we're kind of just asking the question of what does the Bible really tell us about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does? And I remember during this time, I was talking to Dave, and he said that he was talking with a friend of his, he goes to another church, and he was telling him about this series, he goes, uh-oh, Dave, is, is ethos getting weird? And, he, and Dave said, no, ethos is just getting biblical, you know, we're just trying to get into the Word and discover what the Word has to say about who the Holy Spirit is. And over these last two years, if we have dug in, we have begun to see some things happening in our church. And we've seen God at work from the very beginning when Ethos started eight years ago, you know, but it's, over the last two years, we've begun to experience some different kinds of things. And some things that are hard to explain and some things that feel mysterious and at times may even make some of us uncomfortable. And I'm going to unpack all of these things. I'll talk about some of the things that we've seen as we move uh, through our time together this morning. But we have seen God work in ways that are unexplainable outside of His Holy Spirit coming in. And whenever these kinds of things happen, we tend to have uh, one of two responses. And I want to say some of us, my, myself included, oftentimes when we see God do things that are mysterious, that are unexplainable, our temptation is to kind of run from it or to kind of hide from it. Because it doesn't fit into our paradigm and we don't know what to do with it and so we kind of shove it aside. But the problem we're going to see in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is when the Holy Spirit begins to do things in our midst as a people of God. This is simply the result of what Jesus promised would happen. So in Acts chapter 1 you find Jesus, he's with his apostles and he has been crucified, he has been dead, he's laid in the ground and on the third day he has come back to life and he's talking with his apostles and they're asking and they're saying, hey, when is the kingdom of heaven finally going to come in its fullness? Is this the time? And Jesus says, listen, you don't need to worry about the time. Don't worry about the date, the time of when this is going to happen. But here's what you need to know. Look at the instructions he gives them in verse 8. He says, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You know, much of my life, I thought these were just Jesus' instructions to the 11 guys that were standing there with him, his apostles. But you go on and you read the story and you see uh, in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit first comes with power. It's what Will was talking about when everybody looked at them and said, what are they, drunk? The Holy Spirit came in power and Peter stands up and he says these words. In verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on just the 12 apostles. Is that what your Bible says? I don't know how many of you are reading it. It's not what it says. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All people, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And then Peter goes on in chapter two, verse 39, he says, listen, when you receive this gift of the spirit, this promise is not just for you, but it is for your children and your children's children and all those who are far off, this promise of the power of the Holy Spirit was not just given to a select few people in the first century, but it's the promise that Jesus gave for his people who will courageously step out and follow him. It's the promise that he gave to us as his people today. 
So some of us have experienced this power of the Spirit, and oftentimes what that looks like is just an internal experience with God. And so that might look like the first time that you turned in faith to Jesus Christ and put your hope in Him. That's a miraculous thing when the human heart turns from itself and focuses purely on God. Sometimes this power of the Holy Spirit looks like someone being freed from an addiction. Sometimes it's physical healing that happens. We don't know how to explain. But either way, there's this internal and personal experience with the living God breaking into our lives. And yet there's also an external response that should come from that internal experience. You know, oftentimes when we experience the warmth and the love and the power of Jesus breaking into our lives, we're tempted to just say, okay, that was just me. That's between me and God. It's something happened on Sunday morning or in my house church or at prayer gathering. That's just, that was just God's little love note to me and that's all that matters. And it is God's love to you. But look at what Jesus says in verse eight. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you were to just keep that to yourself. It's not what he says. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. What does it mean to be a witness? Oftentimes I think we stop short of understanding what a witness is. We think that a witness is just somebody who sees something. You see, the word witness inherently carries with it this idea that the person who sees it is also going to talk about it. We know this like in our legal proceedings, right? We see this in a court situation today. If there's a witness, if you're called to witness for a criminal trial in a court case, you're gonna take that seat in that witness stand and you're gonna be asked questions and you are gonna be expected to talk. It's not enough just to sit there and say, I was a witness. You're gonna be asked questions and if you refuse to speak, the judge can actually slap you with contempt because you're not doing what a witness is supposed to do. A witness observes something and a witness testifies to that thing that they observed. And so Jesus says, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're gonna be my witnesses. You're gonna talk about this. And when mysterious things start to happen that you don't know how to explain, you just say, hey, listen, I don't know, but the kingdom of God has come near. This is what Jesus told his apostles. When you heal someone, when you raise the dead, when you cast out a demon, when you pronounce my good gospel, he says, you just tell them the kingdom of God has come near to this place. And yet as I read that this week, I experienced this kind of rub in my heart because I started to realize that even though I have witnessed the power of God in our midst as a church family in some amazing ways, I'm not always willing to witness about that. I'm often actually kind of embarrassed to talk about that when it's outside of these walls. This is my confession to you. The last two or three weeks, I've had to get up here after some of our gatherings and share some of the things that God's been doing at our respond banners. And honestly, I, I start to stand up and I'm like, God, you really want me to tell everybody that, that a girl with a fractured wrist was just prayed for and took her, her brace off and used her wrist fully, like fully functioning? You want me to get up and tell people that? They're going to think I'm crazy, God. God, you really want me to tell them that, that a young woman came walking up to me sobbing in tears because she was in excruciating pain in her lower back and had been for the past three days and that we prayed for her and she mysteriously started laughing and dan literally danced back to her seat with joy. God, you want me to tell people that? And he keeps going, yes, I want you to tell them. And then I've started to realize, I think he wants me to tell my friends that aren't here as well. I think he, he wants me to witness to the power of his spirit in our midst, even to my friends that don't know Jesus. And I'll just confess to you that I don't know what to do with that. I'm like, God, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think I'm nuts. I don't know how to explain it. And I realize that I am embarrassed to speak about the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And I love what Jesus does for the apostles. 
He says, listen, you're going to be my witnesses. And look what he does. He goes, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what he starts with, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, for the guys listening to him, what that would have meant was this, is that you're going to start off by witnessing to the people you're most comfortable with. This is your hometown. These people believe in Yahweh God. They're Jews. You're going to go and testify to them about the Messiah that they've been expecting. And this is where you're going to start. And then you're going to kind of travel out and you're going to go into places where it's going to be uncomfortable for you to witness about me because these people don't know me. And yet, as I looked at that, I realized, I'm like, I'm the exact opposite of that. In three weeks, I'm getting on a plane to fly to Uganda, and I'm going to have the opportunity to share the gospel with lots of people over the course of two weeks, and I'm going to do it without batting an eye, and I'm going to do it with passion and zeal and excitement. And yet, when it comes to me, when I'm sitting in my friend's backyard over a barbecue, I'm petrified of opening my mouth and talking about the power of God and the gospel. And isn't that true for us, that unlike the apostles in our own hometown, our hometown is the place where we're most scared to witness. A lot of us are willing to go on mission trips far away, but when it comes to witnessing to our friends who are closest to us in our hometown, it's challenging. And I think this is where Romans chapter 1 will speak to us this morning. Flip back over to Romans chapter 1. You know, in this letter, Paul is writing a letter to Christians who would have been in one of those contexts where it would have been the most difficult place to witness about the power of God. He's writing to followers of Jesus who live in the city of Rome that would have been, for them, very difficult to talk about one God, much less talk about one God become man who pours out his power into humanity to show signs of his goodness. Like, how uncomfortable it would have been, but look at Paul's words in verse 16. These words cut me this week. He said this, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Why would Paul of all people have to say, I'm not ashamed? You know, if any of us, if you know the story of Paul, you know, like, this guy's not ashamed of the gospel. So why would he write this? I think he's writing it for believers who found themselves in a place where it was difficult and scary to witness about the power of God. In many ways, he writes this to people like us, people who find ourselves in a culture that is hostile to this idea of the power of God breaking in to our reality in very real and very mysterious ways. And he says to us, he looks at us, he says, ethos, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And, and I know some of you are thinking I did a little switcheroo here. I went from talking about what happens in here on Sundays and being ashamed of what God does in our midst. Now I'm talking about the gospel. But I love this because look what Paul does. He goes on to define the gospel. He says, don't, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And how does he define it? He says, because the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God Almighty that brings salvation to just a few people, no, bring salvation to everyone who believes. This morning, I, I just wanna, I wanna help all of us, and if you're in my skin and you have had those moments where you're ashamed of the gospel, you're embarrassed by the mysterious thing that God does in our midst when we gather on Sundays, you're ashamed of maybe the power, or you're embarrassed of the power that you've witnessed, I wanna just spend some time this morning and unpack what Paul is saying about the gospel of Jesus. I want us to understand these words that he uses. He says the gospel is, one, the power of God, and then two, he says the power to bring salvation. So we're going to look at those two words, power and salvation, and try to understand what is packed into those words, and then try to come back around and say, why are we sometimes embarrassed and ashamed of that? So let's look at this, this word power. What is the power of God? You know, I think many times 
we don't witness or, or share our faith or talk about our experience of God because we're afraid that, we, we think that sharing our faith is just a matter of saying the right words. And we think, what if I don't have the right words? Or what if I get it wrong? What if I say the wrong thing to this person? Or what if they ask me questions and I don't have the right answers and I don't know how to talk to them? And what that reveals about us is that we believe that the gospel is primarily a matter of words. That the gospel landing in someone's heart is somehow dependent upon me getting the words right and saying just the right thing to the right person at the right time. And I love what Paul does in a lot of his letters because he, he loves to contrast the gospel with just words. He loves to contrast power with words. He does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. He says this, is My message and my preaching among you were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He says, look, when you heard the gospel, it wasn't just for my words. It was a demonstration of power that came among you. He says it again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. He says, our gospel came to you not simply with words. It wasn't mere words. But it also came with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You see, the gospel of Jesus, although we express it using our words, the gospel of Jesus is far more than our words. The gospel of Jesus is not advice to people. It's not, hey, if you live your lives this way, then you will be able to lift yourself out of the mire and the hardship of this world. No, the gospel of Jesus actually does the heavy lifting. We believe that the gospel of Jesus does not bring power, but the gospel of Jesus is power. That when the gospel of Jesus is spoken, even if I don't get all the words right, I don't fully understand it all myself, that I'm trusting that the God of the universe longs for this person that I'm talking to to know him more than I do. And that he will use my feeble attempts to usher in power from the kingdom of God so that they can understand this God who loves them. The gospel is more, far, far more than words. It is power. It is God's power. And when we share the gospel, when we witness, when we preach, when we talk with our friends, the power of God is at work. Now, what is this power? What is it like? Like how powerful is it? Is, uh, how do we describe it? How do we understand this power? I think oftentimes when we look at the power of God, we'll try to explain it using natural things that we understand. And so I know I've done this. I remember one time uh, when I was in college, this huge tornado came through our town. And I remember watching trees literally like bend over to the ground and going out the next day and seeing these massive oak trees that were lifted, like uprooted out of the ground because the power of the wind. Like, wow, that is power. That's powerful. That's, that's what God's power is like. Or, or maybe sometimes we'll describe it like if you've ever stood on the beach when there's a storm raging off the coast and these massive waves are kicking up and you can actually literally feel the ground shaking as these waves crash one after the other. And you're like, wow, what power. Or maybe we try to describe it with, with the sun. You know, here in the South, we suffer from the sun, right? It's just so oppressively hot. And we go, how amazing is it? How powerful is it that there's this glowing ball of light that literally is 93 million miles away, and yet I still feel the heat of it. From 93 million miles away, it still burns my skin when I go outside like, whoa, that is power. That is unbelievable power. And yet the thing of it is, all of the natural things that we could try to use to explain the power of God, they pale in comparison with the power that God has in and of himself. 
Because you see, all of these things find their source in God. They find the source of their power in the one who created them. No, God's power goes far beyond any natural phenomenon that we could use to explain it. God's power is a power that has the ability to reach into the depths of the grave and bring life where there has been death. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, just a few verses earlier in verse 4. He's talking about Jesus. He says, you know, regarding his humanity, he was a son of David. He said, but regarding, he said, he was through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in what? In power by his resurrection from the dead. He says, this power of God is strong enough to take the one enemy of humanity that we have not been able to subdue. The one enemy that always is knocking at our doors, that enemy of death that seems so final and so oppressive and unstoppable. God says, let me show you what unstoppable looks like. My power is unstoppable. I will reach into the grave. I will stop death. I will stop it in his tracks and I will bring life instead. That is what the power of God is like. And this is what the power of God is like in us. In Ephesians chapter 2, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, you find this prayer from Paul. He's praying for the Christians. He says, you know, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart could be enlightened because I want you to understand the great hope that you have. And I want you to understand the glorious riches that are yours as inheritors of the kingdom. And then he says this, and I also want you to understand the power that is at work in you. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised his son Jesus from the dead. The power that is able to stop death finally, once and for all, is the same power that is at work within all of us. And so in the gospel of Jesus, what we find is the limitless, matchless, untamable, incomparable power of God that has been unleashed on earth. I love this though. God does not unleash his power on earth for the purposes of destruction or condemnation or wrath or anger. No, no, no. When Paul talks about the power of God in Romans 1.16, look what he says. He says, this power has one aim, has one goal. It's not aimless or random. This power is to bring salvation for everyone who believes in him. See, when God unleashed his unstoppable power on the earth, he had one thing in mind. He had one thing in mind, and it was your freedom, your salvation, my salvation, our salvation. It was renewal for all things. It was the world being returned to the way that he intended it to be when he created it. God unleashes his great power with one goal, your heart, my heart, all of creation coming to know him and how good he is. This is where God directs his power. And I think We've got to understand this word salvation. You say God has unleashed all of his power for the sake of the salvation of the world, and yet oftentimes we have been given a watered-down version of what that salvation is. And here's the tricky thing is that I'm going to tell you what this watered-down version of salvation looks like, and there's a nugget of truth in it. And so it makes it really hard to navigate because we hear it and go, yeah, that's true, but it is watered-down. And here's the watered-down version of salvation that we've been given for so long, and it's basically this. It is, hey, you're bad. You're, you're just bad, and you're going to hell. And you need Jesus to convince God to like you so that you can go to heaven instead of going to hell. That is the watered-down version of salvation that we've been given. 
All salvation is, is me getting my ticket punched so I don't have to go to that bad place and I can go to the good place and hopefully God will like me. I think when Paul writes about salvation, when Jesus talked about salvation, he had so much more in mind than something like that. You see, salvation, God's salvation is so much more robust than just that simple statement. I love this. I read this this week. One theologian gave this definition of of salvation, and um, it's not perfect, but I love what it captures. Here's what he says. He says, listen, salvation, God's salvation is all the blessings which God alone can give. All the blessings which God alone can give in response and answer to the need and longing of man. All the blessings which God alone can give in response to the need and the longing of man. Think about the longings of humanity. What is humanity longing for? You look around the world, there's so much strife and war and hatred and all, I mean, just awful things going on in the world. But I think at our core, all of us, as human beings, we are image bearers of God Almighty. Sin in the world has caused this separation, and I think all of us are longing for the same thing, whether we know what to call it or not. We're all longing for something in common. All of us long to, to not be lonely. We all long for community, right? We, all of us long for significance and purpose in life. And God looks, he says, well, you want significance? I, I'm going to adopt you as my child. Romans 8, he says, look, I'm, I'm going to free you from being a slave to sin and fear and all of these things, and I'm going to make you my child. You're going to be an heir to my kingdom. How's that for significance? He says, you want purpose? I'm going to make you an ambassador to my kingdom so that you get to witness about the glory of my salvation to all the earth. I think all of us, we also long for communion with the divine. I love this because in the gospel, we find communion with the divine, that the divine has come near to humanity and pointed us to God. You see, God's salvation is so robust and so big that it alone uniquely answers every single longing of the human heart in a way that only he can answer it. God's salvation is big. It's beautiful. It's robust. God longs for nothing more than to bring us to complete and total salvation and freedom from the problems of this world. And he has and he is leveraging all of his power to bring that about, to bring it about. You know, I think the salvation of God is so robust that it not only has been achieved, but it continues to be achieved and it will continue to be achieved well into the future. And here's what I mean. I I love this in different places. We find it talked about differently in the New Testament. So in Ephesians chapter two, verse five, Paul says, listen, God who is rich in mercy has made you alive with Christ. That's past tense, right? God's salvation has been completed. He says, he has made you alive with Christ and he has seated you with Christ in the heavenly realms. All that is past tense. In other words, the salvation of God was perfectly complete at the cross in the empty tomb. And so God's salvation, his robust, his thorough, whole salvation has been done. But it is also continually ongoing in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, one of my favorite verses. The writer says this, he says, listen, once, once Jesus made that sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God and now he is taking those who have been made perfect, that's that past tense, and they are continually being made holy. So there's this ongoing that we have been made perfect and yet we continue to be made holy. So his salvation is still ongoing and his salvation is eternal. Revelation chapter 21, 
most beautiful picture of God's redeeming work is the new heaven and the new earth coming down in this beautiful place where there's, there's no more tears, there's no more sorrow, there's no more death, there's no more pain, there's no more anguish, there's no more suffering. For eternity, this is what God offers us, his salvation, taking every single ounce of brokenness and making it right again. This is the robust salvation of God. And so the gospel, you know, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is this, it is the power of God poured out on humanity because of the death and resurrection of Jesus through the Holy Spirit ushering in the robust salvation of God. I'm going to read that again. Salvation, or the gospel, is the power of God poured out on humanity because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus through the Holy Spirit ushering in the robust salvation of God for a seemingly hopeless world. And I just want to take a minute to talk about where we have seen this salvation, where we have seen this gospel beginning to bear fruit in our midst as a church. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's weird for me to talk about some of these things because I've never had, they don't fit my paradigm. But you know, we have seen the gospel of Jesus bearing great power and great fruit right in our church. It has come uh, in many ways over the last two years. You know, and some, some of it, we have seen marriages that were fractured and broken that were being made whole. That's a miraculous work of the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit. What we have seen uh, people who are racked with addiction be freed from that and start walking in freedom from addiction. That is the power of the Spirit at work. We have, we have seen people freed from the oppressive nature of, of eating disorders, beginning to walk in freedom in their relation to God's creation of food. We have, we have seen many people come to faith in Jesus. That is a miraculous work of the power of the Spirit. I, lots of stories we could tell. I think of, of one guy two, three weeks ago. He shows up here at Ethos, and Chris on our pastoral team walks up to him and says, hey, welcome to Ethos. Have you been here before? He says, no, I actually have not been to church in 14 years. He's like, I woke up this morning with this weird thought that I, I need to go to church. It's miraculous. That's the power of the Spirit through the gospel. And so Chris welcomes him and sits with him and starts a Bible study with him. He got to baptize the guy like two weeks or like a week ago. That's amazing. That is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our midst. I think about another brother here at Ethos. He became a Christian about two years ago. And he was telling me his story, and he told me, he said, you know, I was a complete atheist. And he said, and I began thinking maybe there's something more. And one night I'm in my bathroom looking in my mirror at myself, and I see a spot on my skin. And he worked with a lot of clinics where skin cancer was very common, and he knew, he's like, this is bad. This staying on my skin is bad. And he went to bed that night feeling hopeless and didn't know what to do. And he woke up the next morning, and he said it was gone. He said he hit his knees in the bathroom and said, God, help me. I don't understand that. That's miraculous. And for whatever reason, God healed him, took this thing away from him, and he began to search for God, the source of that healing power. And that search eventually led him to ethos, and he became baptized. Then we got to baptize his son at Easter. Like, this is the power of God at work in our midst. And we even see the power of God at work in some physical healings. And I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to explain how... Two weeks ago, I'm standing at the respond band and a woman limps over to me with an ace bandage around her ankle and tells me she's got a sprained ankle and she's supposed to go on a mission trip and she felt God wanted to heal her. So we prayed for healing five of us. Most normal, natural, ordinary prayer, five of us prayed. She walks back to her seat, takes off the ace bandage and helps pick up chairs at the end of the night together. Told me she had no pain, zero pain in her ankle. And I'm going, what? 
what, really? Really, God? Wow, it's amazing. This is the power of God at work in our midst. This is the gospel beginning to bear fruit in our midst as a church family. And Jesus says, listen, the power of God is going to come on you and the Holy Spirit is poured out and I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to talk about these things. I want you to share them, talk about them with one another, talk about them with your friends, be my witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth, and let's talk about the power of God. I just want to address the elephant in the room. Some of you this morning are, are doubtful and very skeptic, and I totally understand, and that's okay. Some of you are in that place where you want to believe, but it's hard to believe, and let's ask you to keep asking. Ask God to give you more faith, give me more belief. Some of you are asking the question kind of skeptically going, okay, okay, so if you guys are healing people here, then why don't you just go to a hospital and heal everybody? But here's the thing, you know, this, this experience with the power of God, it is not magic. It is not because a bunch of us at Ethos have figured out how to like warm up our hands and stick them on people and do it just right so that we can heal them. Like this is not, this is not what this is a picture of. God gave me this beautiful image this week as I was studying this and it really helped me understand this. You know, when I lived in uh, British Columbia, I loved to climb mountains. It was one of my favorite things to do. And I can remember we would set out in the morning, early in the morning, and make our way to the trailhead that we were going to hike. And I can remember being on the way, and on the, on the way, every now and then on the road, the, the hills would part and the trees would clear, and you would get a glimpse of the summit that we were getting ready to go hike. And I'd be like, yeah, let's do this. I'd be so excited. And then it'd be gone because the hills would cover it up. And then you'd start hiking, and we'd be on the trail, and suddenly again, the mountains would open up, and I could see the summit that we're getting ready to go. You get my heart pounding, made me want to go, and I kept getting glimpses of where we were heading. I kept getting glimpses of our destination, of what our goal was. Now, I didn't stop right there and just stare at the summit and go, man, that'd be really neat to be up there. No, like it motivated me. It pressed me on. It gave me energy to keep moving up the trail so that I could not just stare at the summit, but actually stand on the summit and experience it in all of its glory. You see, when we experience the power of God in our midst, whether it's through somebody coming to Jesus or whether it's through a physical healing that we don't understand, what we're getting is a glimpse into the eternal future. See, healing in our midst, whether it's at a heart level or a physical level, it is God saying, hey, remember how I told you to pray for my kingdom to come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven? I'm doing that. I'm doing it right here. And I want you to see this is the eternal future breaking into the temporal now. And it is a sign of encouragement to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, because this is what I have for you in the future. This is what eternity looks like. It's not a bunch of us in white robes sitting on clouds strumming harps. Eternity is God's power and healing coming to the whole world, to every human being that will fall on their knees before the name of Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the power that is offered to us in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's what gives my friends, uh, people like my friend Brooks, who's had six knee surgeries, and we've prayed for him countless, countless times, and he's still not healed. And he could stand at the respond banner and rejoice when he sees a woman's sprained ankle healed because he knows it's God saying, Brooks, this is what I have for you in the future. This is what eternity looks like. I'm going to give you full healing even though you don't get it now. I don't understand that. I don't know how God chooses who he's going to heal and who he's not. I don't get that. But what I know is that it is a glimpse of the power of God in our midst. And Jesus says, when the power comes on you and the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth. What are we ashamed of? What am I ashamed of? Like, wh why am I embarrassed by the gospel of Jesus? It is the power of God 
for the salvation of everyone who would believe in the name of Jesus. There is nothing to be ashamed of there, and yet I find myself being embarrassed sometimes. And I want you to know it's okay if you find yourself in the same boat. To kind of wrap up, I want to give us just kind of three, I think, I think three things that possibly hinder us from opening our mouth and being effective witnesses for the power of Jesus in our midst. And then I want to look at some things that can help us get past that, and then we're just going to pray together and worship together. I, I think one of the things that hinders us is this fear that we don't have enough information. This fear that we don't know enough about the gospel in order to share it with somebody. We're like, well, what if, I, what if I start to tell them and they ask questions I don't know the answers to, and then I look stupid and ignorant. And here, again, this, what this reveals is that we think the gospel is a matter of our words. And what Paul says, no, the gospel is not a matter of your words. The gospel is a matter of the power of God. We have to trust that when we speak the gospel, it is the power of God that takes the human heart and reorients it to him. It is not us giving a compelling or convincing argument. So let's not be afraid of not having the right words. Let's just talk with joy about Jesus. This amazing God that we've learned to follow and who has given us his grace. Let's not be afraid of not having the right words. I think another thing that, that stops us honestly is just apathy. I think sometimes we just get apathetic about other people knowing the love of Jesus. And often this is just the result that, of us not really believing in the, the, the current reality of the power of God in our midst. And if we're not pressing into Jesus then we're probably not going to experience the power of God at work in our midst. I hope you know that as, as we love this church and lead this church, we're trying to help all of us press more fully into Jesus so that we can experience the passion that he has for people that don't know him and that we won't be an apathetic people towards the people that are outside of our walls. So I think sometimes it's a fear of not knowing enough. Sometimes it's an apathy and sometimes it's a fear of relational strain. So in other words, like I've got a friend, he's an atheist, and I'm always going, but God, if I, if I start to talk to him about what I believe about you, what I've experienced in you, is he going to want to be around me? Is he, is he going to want to be my friend anymore? And, and let me just say this to all of you. I know all of you have friends and, and family members right now that you're going, it's not that simple. Like, I've been building trust with this person for years so that they will trust me as a Christian because every other Christian has hurt them. And we have to use discernment, and we have to use wisdom, and we have to partner with the Holy Spirit but we are not gonna sense the Holy Spirit leading unless we're open to receiving the Holy Spirit's leading. That means we have to press into Jesus and we have to pray for our friends that don't know him regularly. I would strongly discourage you from witnessing to your friends that you have not already prayed for. Don't try telling your friends about Jesus if you have not prayed for them that they could know Jesus. Let's be a people of prayer that look for the opportunities to witness for Jesus, that we can share the experiences we've had of his power right here in our midst. So let's not let fear of not enough information or apathy or fear of relational strain stop us from being the witness that Jesus called us to be. Let's experience the power of the gospel together. Let's not be afraid of it. In our times of worship, let's collectively as a family just invite God to do whatever he wants in our midst. Let's not be afraid that he might heal some and he might not heal others. Let's not be afraid that some marriages will be mended and some will end up broken. Let's not be afraid that some will come to know Jesus and some won't. Let's just invite him to do whatever he wants to do and trust that it is up to his power to do it. Let's press into the gospel of Jesus together, family. Can we do this as a family? Can we press into the power of Jesus as a family who love one another, who are on this mission together? 
We want to love God. We want to love people. Man, we want to see the movement of Jesus awakened in our city, in our country, in our world to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Let's do this as a church family. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion. We've got it set up all around the room. We're going to do this like we do every week. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of worship. Over communion, as you take that bread and you take that cup, Let's just remember that it is not just a piece of bread and a cup, but it is the power of Jesus working in our midst as we commune with him, that he is here with us. And if you know as you're sitting there that there are certain things that hinder you, whether it's shame or fear or embarrassment, that hinder you from being a witness, just confess those to someone. Confess those to the person you came with. If you don't know anybody, come talk with us at the respond band. We're not going to like, like shame you because you confess that. I'm just up here confessing it to you right now. Like just confess it to one another. And once we've confessed it, let's just ask for God's boldness and ask for God's courage so that we can share it, so that we can witness. And then finally, if you've you've never experienced the power of God in your life, if you've never experienced the inbreaking power of the kingdom of God, man, we would love to pray with you. As we worship, as we commune, come to the respond banner, there'll be men and women over here, over here, and we would love nothing more than just to pray that you could encounter the living God of the universe. He's amazing, and he loves you so, so deeply. Let's pray together. Oh, God and Father, God our Father in heaven above, we love you, we praise you. God, I do not understand the depths of your power. I do not understand the mysteries of your gospel. But God, it is amazing when you break into our space and you give us a glimpse of what you're like. Father, would you come right now? I know that even as we sit here and as I pray, some of us are looking at our our watches and thinking about lunch, and some of us are distracted. God, would you let your spirit fill this room in such a way that we are just drawn to you and you only? Would you minister to us through worship right now, Father? Would you convict us, Father? Would you put people on our hearts to pray for? God, would you make us a people who are just partnering with you and witnessing for your gospel to the ends of the earth? We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.